Hello, welcome back to 22 Glimpses into the Future. I am a different host to the one you've been hearing. Uh, my name is Claire Potter. I'm the convener of the product design course. And the reason why I'm your temporary host is because I'm actually talking to somebody who's been hosting everybody else. So I'm sitting here with Pablo. Hello. So he's going to be talking to us today about his project rather than asking everybody else about theirs. So Pablo has done a fantastic project called Coral 8. So Pablo, tell us a little bit more about your project and why you did what you did. Ooh, so Correlate is a kind of handheld digital device that lets recreational scuba divers and snorkelers collect conservation data as they kind of, you know, casually enjoy the ocean, essentially. And it allows you to visually monitor species of fish, species of coral, and essentially record on the device what you see, which gives you the idea of very, very quickly building a kind of citizen science database without having to go through months and months of expensive training to do so. Fantastic. So was there something that sparked this as a project? Well, in a way, yes, but also no. So, you know, my mom's a marine biologist, so obviously I've had the ocean around me since forever. And that was, you know, a factor. But of course, when I went into this, I also went, I don't want to just do what, you know, that. <laughs> I very much thought if I just do some scuba diving thing, like, it's just going to happen, isn't it? So I kind of had my list of ideas and I was building stuff up based on my interests. And honestly, it ended up having nothing to do with that obviously quite significant family connection. It was more to do with my own experience. I tried some citizen science scuba diving at one point and it was pretty chaotic. And... <laughs> That's a very polite way of saying it. Yeah, yeah. I, thought, I, I thought I could do this better, basically. Uh, what they had is they gave us, you know, we, we obviously had a little dive briefing for, for all the safety stuff. And then they gave us little sheets of paper that had a picture of the fish that you were supposed to look for. And I think there was like five or six of them. And then you just tallied up when you saw it. It honestly didn't work that badly. The problem was that once we were done, A, we had had no training on what to really look for. So I'm sure I misidentified half of the stuff. And then the other thing is I just kind of gave in the sheet and never heard another word. So for all I know, they just threw it away, you know, like, so part of what I wanted to do was build an entire system where the person really feels involved because so many people are really aware of climate change issues and conservation issues. They kind of see, you know, they see that sea turtles are choking on plastic straws, but beyond sharing on Instagram, they don't really do anything. So I wanted something that was really engaging and really felt like you were a part of the solution the whole way through, but also didn't take the months and months of training, which the systems that do that do. Brilliant. So is this the sort of thing to so say I go on holiday to Egypt or whatever? Do you envisage that this might be, you know, I go on a dive course, I go out for a day? Is that is it as simple as that, that somebody could pick it up and intuitively know how to use the product? That's the goal. So it wouldn't be for someone who's not really d dove, dove, divin before. <laughs> divin. <laughs> divin. <laughs> it wouldn't be for someone who isn't an experienced diver because at the end of the day, I'd like someone who's very new to diving to enjoy seeing what they see without distraction and also focus on the safety elements. They're really important. But for someone who's quite a common, quite a frequent diver, but maybe doesn't necessarily own their own gear, they just go on diving holidays a lot. Or maybe someone who does own their own gear, but just isn't a scientist. That's the goal of the user. And essentially you should be able to give the device to the person. And then during your regular dive briefing, which everyone does, you have a two, three minute section on the methodology that you're going to follow. And that basically just stops you from counting the same fish 10 times. And then the device itself is supposed to be intuitive enough that you can just use it. It's got pictures. It's got a button next to it. You press the button when you see it. Brilliant. And I'm guessing that this is something that could be used around the world. So it's programmable. It's not just a set amount of fish. It's, I mean, how many things could I, um, in theory, log on each dive? 
So I've built two prototypes at this stage. One of them is the fully functional underwater waterproof one, which can log up to three things. And then the kind of more digital production prototype can log nine. So it's got categories. So essentially it would be your fish, your invertebrates, and what I've been calling your human impacts. Mm -hmm. So just as important as logging seeing a starfish is logging seeing discarded fishing nets, logging seeing broken corals from people who have been snorkeling. So across those nine things, which I've kind of research suggested that more than that might be just way overwhelming. Honestly, I think nine could already be too many. Mm. But also if one of them happens to be like a turtle that you're very unlikely to see, but if you do see it, it needs to be there. So it shouldn't be nine common species, that's for sure. Brilliant. And so doing the project, was there something through your research stages that you found as a particularly difficult thing to do or something that was surprising? Or did you kind of follow the pattern that you thought you might? I was very interested in the methodologies around actual data collection. I kind of had a vague understanding of them just kind of from being around marine biology, but really learning in depth how they do it and the amount of effort that goes into getting really solid quality data. It's kind of incredible. You know, they do these, they go out with tape measures underwater and they lay them out and they follow a transect and they do two or three just swimming back and forth along the same thing counting. And you have to have like three or four replicates to even consider that data valid. And it was a lot of, you know, all of those kind of hurdles, essentially, that I realized I'd have to obviously not follow this, but go around it in a way that if I gave it to a researcher and said, here's the data that all these people have collected, they're not going to immediately throw it out because it's not valuable to them. Mm, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? It, it? Once you're gathering data, it has to be useful data. Yes. Um, so was there anything that you wanted to get into the project that you weren't able to? Yes, a camera. A camera. A camera. So that was also the main thing that in my user testing early on, people kind of had, you know, it was early interviews. People thought, oh, I mean, you could put a camera in it, but there was not really any definitive, you have to put a camera there. Yet when I took it testing and I took it scuba diving, all of the professionals I was with exclusively said, where's the camera? It really needs a camera. We, you know, we should have a camera. And the reason I hadn't done one was an expense thing. Mm -hmm. Basically putting in a little camera that was powerful enough to actually get decent photos underwater that wasn't huge or prohibitively expensive. It just wasn't possible. Mm. I also didn't have the programming knowledge to also code camera software, mm. as well as all the other programming I did already. I didn't want to add that to it. But in any further developments, that is the first thing that needs to be added as a camera. And it's not because you need it, but it's more because if the citizen scientist, you know, kind of casual person is unsure, I'd prefer for them to take a picture and say, I don't really know what this is, but maybe it's something really important than to just ignore it. Mm. Yeah, so it might be like a similar species or something they're not expecting. Exactly. Yeah. So then as well, when you give it to scientists, you can say, oh, they marked it down as a butterfly fish and here's the photo. And the scientist goes, oh, yeah, it was a butterfly fish. Mm. Or no, it wasn't, but we just write it down as something else. At that point, the data is still valuable. And that at the end of the day is what matters most. So talk to us about the actual um, the testing phase, because I'm gathering that you didn't do that in a swimming pool in Brighton. I did not. <laughs> I was very, very lucky to be able to actually go to go back home to Kenya, where I grew up. And there's a little marine biology organization there that I worked with. And they were doing a survey of the of coral reefs on the Kenyan coast to kind of just do a national assessment of where the status of things were. And I basically just tagged along and didn't get in their way and tested my own thing. So I was with the fish team throughout the week, not the benthic coral team. And there were four of us, yeah, there were four of us. So two of them were doing their transects. Then the other person who was my dive buddy was just doing a biodiversity check. So it was my mom actually, um, but she, <laughs> she had 300 species that she's memorized. 
Wow. And she's just ticking boxes as she goes. That's incredible. Right, which of course I could never do. Yeah. She's just got Latin names, 300 pages, and not pages, oh, numbers. Oh, skills. And just go, you know. So she was doing that, and I had my little thing with like three, and I was switching what I was testing each time. So I wanted to see, you know, like what is the process for counting fish? If you see like seven, do you can you like, you know, press the button really fast? And I wanted to basically test a bunch of indicators for where we were to figure out which ones work. So I found quite clear that counting coral is near impossible unless mm-hmm. you have a very deep understanding about how coral works. So that was the testing, which was incredible because mm-hmm. I got to take my product scuba diving. It was also terrifying because I was convinced <laughs> I was going to break it. But, you know, we made it. And, and did it break? Did it last the, the it test did. phase? It did last the test phase. So I had it in a, again, if you come to New Designers or if you check out uh, my Instagram where there's photos, I basically created my own waterproof container that I did test. I threw it in a bathtub and whatever, but I did not have the confidence to take it 20 meters underwater. Were you 20 meters down? Yeah. Wow. At, not not like the whole time, but yeah. the deepest we ever went was about, I think, 18 or so. Yeah. That's considerable. Do you know what the pressure is down there? Uh, I built the casing of the shell of the device to last, to withstand up to three atmospheres, which okay. would be 30 meters. 30 meters, yeah. So it was probably a bit less than that. Um, but it was, you know, that's considerable. Yeah, that's considerable it's quite, pressure. It's quite a bit. So, it, and it did definitely. Honestly, the thing I ran into was basically I didn't want to take it underwater with just the shell I'd made. I didn't trust it. Also, if something did go wrong, when you're at depth, you can't just jump to the surface. You've no. got to rise really slowly and do safety stops and everything. So I'd have just lost the device. Yeah, you don't so, want to get the bends just from exactly getting, right <laughs> from saving your device. Yeah, the, the the ethics there are huge. So what I did is I put it inside one of those iPad plastic cases that people take when they go to the beach or whatever. Which even then they're not that waterproof, but the double was enough. And honestly, the only issue I ran into was um, I had to inflate the bag so that when it went down, the air was reduced so that I could press the buttons. The first dive I did, I didn't do that. I thought, oh, let me get as much air out as possible. And of course it hugged to it and all the buttons were stuck in, so I just couldn't do anything. Oh, wow. See, again, you wouldn't have thought about that until you actually went down. I did not think about it at all. So when I did the the deepest dive we did, which luckily was the last one, it started to get all glitchy. Mm. There was no water damage, thank God. Mm -hmm. I think it was literally components not designed to work at that pressure. Yeah. Um, liquid crystal LCD screens, you know, they have whatever behind the panels that move to reflect whatever you want to see. Clearly doesn't love working at high depth. Mm-hmm. But, you know, nothing broke. Like the second I was back at the surface, turned it back on, no problems. Fantastic. So I, I was lucky. Lucky. Or maybe it's just because it was designed very well, Pablo. <laughs> I'll take that, yeah. I think it was designed very well. I made an O-ring from scratch. That was my biggest design regret, for sure. Oh, really? Yeah, it was I... It's stupid when I think about it now. Instead of, you know, O-rings have standardized sizes. Instead of picking one, designing around it, Mm -hmm. I just picked the shape and the size that I needed for the components and then couldn't find an O-ring that fit. So I had to make my own. Wow. Which, of course, means it had like a break somewhere that Mm. could have leaked everywhere. So that was the biggest regret is I should have just picked a standard size and worked with it. Even if it was way bigger, it would have just been safer. Lessons learned. Lessons learned, yeah. Um, so tell, talk us a little bit about the next steps. So what's the next steps for you, the project going onwards? So I really want to develop this a little bit further. Um, I'm looking to kind of get a little bit of funding, really not much, just so that I can build another prototype. I want to build a fully underwater functional prototype that has the look and feel of the production one. So a much larger iPhone style LCD screen, camera if we can do it, much thinner, much more handheld as opposed to kind of a bulky test device. And then I'd like to make 
up to like five of them and send them somewhere where they can be tested on a really small scale. Just do a pilot program, get a bit of data back, start to learn what works and what doesn't. And then if it's, you know, if it's successful, if it has promise, either go full in with it or kind of sell it to an organization who can do something big with it. Fantastic. So where can we find out more? Well, uh, my Instagram at Pablo Samoyles, which is P-A-B-L-O-S-A-M-O-I-L-Y-S, can't spell my name, um, has a bunch of photos and videos of it, which is incredible. And then, of course, uh, my website, samoyles.com, also has information there. And you can also get in touch with me there if you'd like to. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Pablo. It's been great to chat to you. And of course, as Pablo said, if you are listening to this before New Designers or of the week of New Designers, which is the 5th to the 6th to the 9th oh, I've got to get that right uh, 6th to the 9th of July 2022 then please come and see us on Stan FP22 University of Sussex thank you very much Pablo brilliant thank you so much